0: Wow, Jeff, thanks for inviting me over this evening. This is just great. Yeah, sitting glad out, you could come. Yeah, sitting out here on this nice, beautiful night with this fire pit. The fire going here by the fire, great. A uh, nice,
1: cool night and a nice, warm fire warms the heart, doesn't it? It sure
0: does. You know, this is beautiful and the smell of burning firewood. I love the smell of napalm uh. in the morning. <laughs> <It> smells <laughs> like victory. Yeah. That's a nice one.
1: You know, since ancient times, man has come together with his fellow man and stood around a fire and become closer.
0: Yeah, this is good bonding time. You, yeah. Uh, you know, pass me a marshmallow here Yeah, here you go. Yeah. You know, I can never get a fire going like this. I always try. I was never a Boy Scout. So, um, you know, what was your trick to getting this fire started? Oh, it's easy to
1: start a fire. I, I just used my, uh, my old squad leader boxes. The two half squads, the one and only podcast dedicated 100% to advanced squad leader.
0: I'm one of your hosts, Jeff. And I'm Dave. Welcome, everybody. And we have a special guest with us tonight, our most prestigious guest yet, right, Jeff? Yes. No, no
2: offense to our other guests. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. They were not nearly as prestigious.
0: <laughs> and that is Dave Goldman. Hello, Good Dave.
2: Good evening, guys. And I'm not sure prestigious, when you have a lawyer you're talking, <laughs> is the right term. There'd be a few people out there who would say, lawyer, prestige? That's impossible. Well, I'm sure as the evening progresses, we'll
1: come up with some other names for you. So. <laughs> well, I
0: first of all have to make it some kind of joke about uh,
2: a lawyer playing a a rule book like the Advanced Squad Leader rule book. (laughs) Well, I've I've not had criticisms on that too much. It's been a long time since I've pulled rules out of the uh, book to uh, confound and astound my opponents. Usually they're explaining the rules to me again. Of course, I'm supposed to adjudicate rules at the tournament I run, so that's a little weird too.
0: And that's why we brought Dave in, and we want to get into the nitty-gritty of that stuff because – well, originally we had bad-mouthed tournaments as we bad-mouthed everything on the show. And Dave did email and said, eh, I'm not sure you're being fair. And he was absolutely right. We were not being fair um, because I, again, don't have the endurance for tournaments and things. And um, so we definitely got Dave in here to give equal time. No, well, it's not even equal time. Yeah. We, we, we like tournaments too.
1: And I had ne- Well, I had never been to one, <clears throat> so it was very easy for me to bad-mouth them. Well, so. as far as the
2: endurance goes, Dave, you look pretty fit. I think you could handle <laughs> it.
0: I will try again. Um, but we'll get to that in a little bit because we do have a lot to talk about at the tournament, especially this year's tournament. We got a
1: big show. This is uh, episode 11. And um, we've got,
0: uh, we might as well start off with our usual goodies. Dave, you've got some listener The listener mail. Yeah. Um, I actually I just went onto the site and someone had posted give them heck number 54. Does that mean anything to anybody here?
1: I think actually my brother posted that. <laughs> Give him hell fifty four, okay. and I'm, that's in quotes. Uh, is a it, line from uh, Glory when the fifty fourth, which Massachusetts. was the first fifty yeah, fourth Massachusetts. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. I thought it
0: was Brian Urlacher of the Chicago Bears because <laughs> it's football season. That would okay make sense to me. Yeah. Now. Do you think he's a listener? Brian Erlacher? Yeah, probably not. No, I don't think so. My brother is a
1: listener, though, which is which is very nice. And in fact, we're going to make this, we're going to dedicate this. Can we do that? Can we dedicate something to somebody that's still alive? Is that okay? Yes. That's not bad. It won't dark. hurt him, I don't think.
2: It well, won't hurt him. Okay. Yeah, you're a lawyer, Dave, so yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know of any law that it would break.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: So we're going to dedicate this to my brother because he made a very sizable donation. In fact, he's our our largest benefactor so far, a donation of $50.
0: Yes, we do have to thank him. And if our sound quality sounds any better tonight,
1: it's because... Because we went out and spent that $50 and then some. <laughs> and then
0: some. And how much... Can I ask how much you spent, Jeff? I
1: spent uh, $300 and... Uh, three,
0: <laughs> $328.18. And I thought you told me it would be about 150 to upgrade.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, you know how that is when you that. get an estimate from somewhere. You get a couple of estimates, you add them together, and it's about that. So I was so. like,
0: oh, I could probably pay like half of that. So am I still in for the well, other one? Well, yeah, 150? no, you don't need to worry about it. Okay. I got I'll,
1: it all t- I'm, I'll be your sugar daddy. <laughs> but today, yeah, folks, we have uh, three microphones instead of one. They're real microphones. After this, we're going to play uh, play Rockstar. And we have a mixing board and everything, so we hope everybody enjoys the improved sound. We hope so. It no. won't improve the quality of the content no. at all, unfortunately. <laughs>
0: No, you're just stuck just with us. a couple of boobs but, talking about a game. Well, that's why we brought Dave in tonight. Yeah, to salvage. Right. <laughs> you could have one more boob. <laughs> more boobs, the better. I meant to salvage the show. We had, did have a letter here that from Dave R. Are we still not doing last names except for guests? Unless
1: they... Yeah, I think Dave R. Oh, is, Dave
0: R. Yeah, uh, He said, great job. The podcast continues to be enjoyable. It has me smiling on my commute, and that's... Um, what we like, Uh, just thought I'd mention in response to the question you answered about the Starter Kit maps. They are used in full ASL scenarios. Martyrs Not Martyrs, for example, uses board V that came with Journal 7, and Ghost Riders from Action Pack 3 uses board Y. Also, the Rally Point packs from Schwerpunkt guys feature scenarios that can be played with either Starter Kit or full ASL rules. Now, I like how he called it full ASL. Do you remember I was asking like what do we call the old ASL if this, you know, it's not always have to say starter kit. I was feeling like yeah. it, advanced should just be the big thick rule book and they should have just called the intro kit, starter kits like squad leader squat again. Leader. Yeah. I was confused. I like when he says full ASL. So I don't know if there's some term that will evolve, you know, in common usage when we all start to differentiate. Um, I think they
1: should call the starter kits diet ASL. <laughs> and then the regular just call that classic ASL It worked light. for
0: Coca-Cola. It did, and many of them uh, use boards from the starter kits. The boards generally don't have any walls or hedges or level two hills on them, from what he can remember. He says he's a full ASL type guy, and the best reason for having the kits is to be able to take a handy slice of ASL pie with you, whenever you go, wherever you go. Although he talks like church, <laughs> we're going to play
2: in the back pew. Your mother-in-law's <laughs> exactly yes.
0: Oh yeah, that'll that'll win friends and influence people. Actually, he said that holidays with the in-laws. <laughs> Anyway, I'll leave you with a quick plug for my scenario archive the ASL it's http dot thingy yeah, slash we'll, I'll, I'll include it in Jeff there. Will, thanks yeah. Jeff
2: I'll include the link in the show notes but I'm sure if you searched ASL scenario
0: archive have you seen it Dave his
2: archive I'm not sure that I've looked at it uh, recently but I know at some time in the past I did
0: you have. Um, it says cool place to go check out what scenarios come in what packs and stuff like that. You can also buy, um, full packs of ASL scenarios too, and including the ultra rare ASLock 20th anniversary pack. You can log your games, see map layouts, and even get a tournament inventory report via the scenario lists feature. Scenario selector pick page picks a scenario for you to play with you and your opponent based on what you have both have in your collections, and finally you can paste your log files from Vassal into the Vassal oh Analyzer. Oh my God! So I don't sounds great. I'm going to have to go to that site and be amazed. Be amazed. It sounds like you'd be amazed at you know the labor that we all put into this hobby. It's incredible. I mean, only think and about it, because Dave, you, you well, we'll get into the, how many hours you must put into a tournament.
2: Well, it's an interesting thing because it's down to a system, but we'll talk about it in a yeah. little Okay. Okay.
0: And I know what we put on the podcast and what I'm sure goes into these websites. Oh, oh yeah. Jeff, do you have any
1: um, mail today? No, I don't have anything in particular other than I have uh, been emailing a little bit uh, just a couple times back and forth with a couple of the guys from the Texas ASL group. And uh, just I, I wrote to them because I liked their website so much and if you have not ever looked at the texas asl group i'll include that link on the show notes as well it's very well worth visiting there if um if for no other reason than to look at the pretty wonderful periodical that they put out called um bonsai not bonsai (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't deal with plants nothing about plants
0: okay now i remember how to spell it because z was hard-edged and like bonsai the japanese were hard-edged fighters right so it has a z in it uh-huh and it's not a o because they don't go oh and they attack they go ah so it's an a <laughs> uh, see i remember that's that from bad. about a year ago or as something. long as you remember
1: that's good <laughs> well they put out a they publish a very good uh periodical in a pdf format and um so i just went back and forth with them a little bit wanting to uh plug their website because it's it's awfully good and i I don't know how many people actually find it, especially our friends uh, from overseas who are not very familiar with Texas.
2: And if you're not familiar with Texas but you ever get a chance to go down to the Austin Team Tournament, which I've done, it is a wonderful tournament. And it's not just for team players. It's individual. And they're a great bunch of guys. They have great barbecue food down there as part of the tournament. And, uh, you know, it's a little out of the way in some respects. And, of course, with airfare these days through the roof, so to speak. It's a little tough to get to out of state. Um, but if you ever get a chance, it's a wonderful tournament.
0: Yeah, sounds good. We'll ride our Broncos down there. Um, we do have another letter from Bjorn from Germany. I wanted to welcome Bjorn. Uh, he's in the process of getting into ASL and wanted to say congratulations. And he enjoys it and keep up the work. So welcome from Germany, Bjorn. Thank you, Bjorn. And we have
1: somebody from Sweden.
0: Yeah, it's Matthias.
2: Yes, Matthias, yes. Do you know him? Yes, I've met him let's oh, see, at least God. once or twice at uh, oh, Lock, if it's the same. From Sweden? Yeah. Well, I yeah, think be. there's I only put, one Matthias
0: see, in this Sweden. is the most prestigious He's, guest we've ever had. He, he knows is. everybody. He
1: knows the all the rules, and he knows all the players personally. He greets them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. is. It, it was Every Matthias. Every box that goes he, out.
0: He did our, if you've gone to our website, you've seen the logo, but it's yeah, not Matthias, the final logo. Yeah.
1: Matthias is working with us on the logo, which is very kind of him to. Yeah, story like as that. that
0: is, he sent it out. Um, Jeff posted it. We both got really excited. Ooh, a logo, a logo. And it looks like Squad Leader, too. Um, did a great job. Thank you. Uh, then I e- emailed MMP and kind of said, What's the legal ramifications? Because my take was, I like legal um custody
2: custody as yeah. he's looking over at the lawyer here yeah. yeah dave i am we'll talk to you after the show um <laughs> that's okay you'll be out of prison in about 10 years <laughs>
1: <laughs> just think of all the time you'll have to play squad leader <laughs> yeah as long as your cellmate is of that
2: nature and yeah. sort he yeah. may be interested in other things
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so so uh, we were excited to see that and then said uh, MMP said, hey, it looks great, but uh, you, you could drop the official counter art, which of course all the amateur, or I should say unofficial publications use their own counter art. Um, obviously there was something in the past, and uh, so we easy enough to do that. We'll just replace and it with we were, stick figures we going to draw some stick people. Yeah. Like I tell all the kids at school, you can draw stick people as long as you just put little clothes on them, draw a little pair of yeah. pants on there, and yeah. soon they're drawing full-figured stick people. Uh, and then he came out with another version and then another version, and it's all similar, but we're still, it's still a work in progress. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in addition tuned. to which, he's a great ASL player and a wonderful person. Well, he, he is. I emailed him and said, I'd like to send you some money so we can get legal ownership of this, you know, pay you for your artwork because I sell some art on the side and that's what I get. I give you the ownership of the work for some quick cash. And and he said, no, it was his donation to us. So. Very kind. Very nice
1: of him. So thank you. Um, I guess that's it for mail, but uh, for all of you that wrote in, thank you very much. We appreciate it. And uh, for all of you that donated, we did get a few donations in. Thank you very much. It's much appreciated and More is better. So if you have a dollar here and there.
0: Well, especially with this purchase now. All this equipment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Looks very official. Uh, Well, I have one other thing. It's sort of a a surprise what's in the box. You have gung-ho. Well, that's just the cover for what is actually in the box. The question is what is really in the box. Oh, is this like a a mystery? It is. Well, I'll just. It is gung-ho. It is gung-ho, but more importantly, <laughs> what we have here, gentlemen, so is the
2: C4 Corner Cutter. Oh, I saw that on the web, and I wanted to know what it actually looked like. Yeah. Now you will know, Dave. This is This is manufactured by a company called Counter Culture.
1: Clever. The owner is Dave King, and he has sent us this for our evaluation and was very kind to, to offer it to us. At no charge, but
2: I told him if we like
1: it, we'll buy it. Well, and it's really kind of
2: compact. It's about two inches square, and yeah. it has uh, two vertical—I'll uh, say—stops um, so that you can put the counter in one corner at a time and then make an even slice across. I even have some test counters yeah, here. Yeah, and are
0: supposed to stack the counters in there.
1: Yeah. Now I have been. Uh, and I, of course, uh, like... Jeff
0: did say he he would pay for it. Um, yeah. the, Dave's philosophy is if you send us things to evaluate we should keep them, but Jeff and I'll hash <laughs> that out later off the air. <laughs>
1: I spend a lot of Dave's money. Uh, well, let's put in a little, we're going to put in a little stack here.
0: Oh, here I thought go. it was one at a time. No, no, it's going to be a stack. That was supposed
1: no, to be this, the beauty of it. This is amazing. Uh, so I'm you stack to them amazed. in there. We can do up to, uh, I believe,
0: 10. <laughs> I believe it's 10. Well, you shouldn't push it to 10 on the
2: first try, should you? Oh yeah, oh yes. You, you live should. dangerously. I do. Well, there's a bottle of wild turkey on the in front of us, so we can afford <laughs> to live dangerously.
1: So I'm just going to hand this over to uh, Dave Goldman. Let him cut himself. So you, just, you just push it, push in with that us, uh, little Jeff, thing don't. that pushes tight to the corner, mm-hmm. and then take this and you just oh well, wait, slide you, wait 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 wait
0: we're not on TV. You've got to describe what you handed him.
1: And, I,
2: I handed him a scimitar. <laughs> It's a heart. very small one. It's made for, um, I think, uh, super micro mini elf scimitars yeah. holders. <laughs> it's and, uh, and he's, he's pushing an exacto straight
0: knife. down, but it's an Exacto knife with the blade. Yeah, if you the push down to the ground, the, right? So it, he's going to push straight down along the edges of the plastic. Here he goes. I was sure <laughs> Dave to do this. I think. Well, he hasn't had anything to <laughs>
1: to drink other than water. Yeah, I'd probably slice my hand. Yeah, open I'm worried here. about this. Yeah, the next sound you hear. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <Oops>. oh. <laughs> oh! Wait a second. I think, I think he,
2: Jeff, you better try. Is that real? I, 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 I want to see. Is that, that real else. blood? No, it's uh, fake blood, which mean, I brought me with it. me. It's close to Halloween. So
1: while while while
2: Dave, <laughs> while Dave and I, I, Dave, I've decided that. It doesn't look like okay. Everyone there's, there's is raving that. about this on well. Here's the
0: online, thing. Here, so here's I'm going to do it. Like, like, here's what I like about the it. The One thing I like about
1: down. it is that it is absolutely uh, you get absolutely the same cut on every counter, and I've done my counters by hand, and I've also, as I mentioned before, I gave them to my kids to do, which I thought would be a good way <laughs> yeah, for them right. to make money. I was paying them, you know, some ridiculously cheap. Uh, I was paying them five dollars an hour to do my counters. And uh, they were doing them, uh, but they were some of them they were cutting way... Okay, here goes, Dave. Go ahead, Dave.
0: Okay, I've lined it up carefully. Yeah. I have pressure exerted. And... I am an art major. I have done a lot of mat framing of artwork. I am a trained professional. Ready? Here you go. Oops. Oh, <laughs> nice mess. Right. You've
1: never touched it. Nicely. And...
0: That's it. Voila. That was it. It took a nice... A nice, little, thin, straight just a very Yeah, if you just keep your pressure the right direction, you can run this right down the line. And I took a few counters off because I was a little worried about it, but you know what? That will actually work. A little It doesn't
1: practice. round the counters. It just takes no, off the nibs, it's right. which it is, is not rounding Which is perfect it. because, like I say, my kids, when they were done with them, a lot of my counters looked like dimes.
2: Yeah, I was expecting that it was going to take more off, which is yeah. why yeah. I, I lined it up and I said, this doesn't feel right. Because yeah. when I... Cut the corners on my counters the old-fashioned way, by hand, one corner, one counter at a time, uh, which took forever on a full ASL set. Uh, But this is, it's very neat, it's very clean, but it's also so slight that you can barely tell that they've been uh, corner clipped. Yeah. And some people like it that way. I personally like mine uh, clipped just a little further because... That's just the way I am. Yeah, and we are a little rounder. Yeah. Well, I've gained weight over here, so I like well, things a little rounder. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I did a test with
1: this. I actually did a full sheet of um, of AFVs. Okay. And it took me thirty minutes to do one hundred and seventy-six counters. There you go.
0: And, and I normally bet, that would have taken me an hour and a half. And if you do like a little deeper cut, I'm wondering if if um, he could make different versions of this. We'll give you different different yeah, slices different on that you know yeah, it's possibly a, it is a well-made product though this plastic is not going to break off i don't think no so
2: it's super glued on there very nice yeah, yeah it's a very nice tight little product so and simple very
0: simple to use i give it uh, thumbs up
1: though uh, i don't recommend it for for children or people um who drink too much coffee correct yeah. or have had three or four shots of wild turkey yeah <laughs> correct I've only had three. Oh, okay, so I'm good. You're good to go. So that was our special. What's in the box? So that's the C4 corner cutter. I personally will endorse it and say uh, it's worth. It's definitely worth nineteen dollars and ninety five cents. Oh, is t- that if, all? If, if time is money, it's worth a lot more than that. But uh, don't pay more than that. You only have to pay nineteen dollars and ninety five cents. Yeah, and, and
0: I, I would add also. I'm sure at some point you got to make sure you got a sharp blade because you yes, know, dull blades don't cut well. Right. So. So there we go. What's
2: in the box? That was what's in the box for this week. Just imagine how much it would have been worth with a gung-ho there if gung-ho was in there.
0: Yeah, actually, oh, yes. gung-ho was sold at auction at Games Plus. I don't know. Our local hobby shop. I don't know what it went for, but well, I I bought saw this at, at Games Plus. You but can f- still get gung-ho. Yeah. No, you can? Yeah. Oh, what am it's I thinking of? Kota Bushido. you Bushido. Oh, you can. I think I saw that. I think someone had a whole set. Yeah. Yeah. But... um so, yeah, there was an opportunity, but people already knew this. People go to these auctions, seem to pre-price stuff, and they know. So you're not going to go get any bargain, unfortunately.
1: And we do have a guest uh, on a future show, on a very, in a very near future, from MMP itself. I don't know if we'll mention his name at this time. We'll leave you all in suspense. But um, one of the things I want to ask him is about this thing that I harp on over and over, which is the availability or lack thereof of certain
0: Games. modules. I'm sure they'll be able to answer that. Yeah. Well, let's turn it over to Dave Goldman mm-hmm. in our interview, official interview beginning. So, Dave, when, first question is always, when did you get started on a squad leader? What's your gaming past?
2: Well, my gaming past is Avalon Hills. Probably it was in the era of tactics. One, the first game purchased was Africa Corps at the Museum of Science and Industry gift shop. They actually carried Athlon Hills materials at the, I'm going to say, in in the 60s and into the 70s. And I was still in grade school, which was a long time ago. I'm going to be 59 in two weeks. And I had very few opponents in those years. Uh, A couple friends of mine, I would entice them into playing it, and they weren't really into it, so they didn't have a lot of fun. And, of course, I would win consistently because I was very much into it. Uh, (laughs) I understand. And so it was Africa Core and Battle of the Bulge, probably. uh, Well, certainly both of them were first edition back then. In college, I started collecting but not playing uh, games and just looking at them, Avalon Hills primarily. And uh, when I saw, believe it or not, an advertisement or I should say a review of Advanced Squad Leader in the Chicago Tribune, probably the year after it came out, in their review of Christmas gifts. No way. In the game section. Wow. That's how I found out about Advanced Squad Leader. I said that's something that I'd be interested in. Probably it took me three-quarters of a year to decide to go out and buy it because <laughs> the first thing that happened was I saw you needed both the rule book and a module and i saw how much that was going to set me back at that time and i just said i couldn't justify it i bought ultimately the rule book the modules that were out that time which i believe uh was only beyond valor and maybe paratrooper was out at that point also uh and i probably bought all three of those items at once and i read the rule book for a couple of years and solitaire things and got into an awful lot of bad habits Uh, because I wasn't reading the rule book correctly. You mean like talking to yourself and things like that, bad (laughs) habits? Well, (laughs) and answering myself, the questions that I have, and answering them wrong.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and that's what I always said is my problem. When I'm teaching everyone else the game, I don't learn the right way because I I teach it wrong because I taught
2: myself wrong, and you found the same thing. Absolutely. And then I saw an advertisement. I think by that time I was getting the general Uh, for the Windy City Wargamers. And I hooked up with Louis Tokars, Mm -hmm. and he invited me out to, I forget whose house it was, out in Rolling Meadows or Schaumburg, and I forget which suburb it was, where they were doing a campaign game of Red Barricades. And I went out on two or three Saturday nights over a period of about three months and just observed. And, of course, they were having a great time, and I was still trying to really understand what was going on. And they invited me a couple of times, why don't you uh, you know, move some forces? Yeah. And I was too shy <laughs> to do it. I can relate.
0: That's what I did at the miniatures games over at ProSex Shop. I used to just watch on Saturday mm-hmm. nights. And they'd go, you can move these troops. No, 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 no,
2: yeah, yeah. And then finally, uh, Louis convinced me, and I had met Rob Bannazak by that point, as I recall, that they were going to have a a one afternoon tournament. So I believe it was 1991. I went to the, what actually technically is the first ASL open, but it was just a Windy City Wargamers open at that point in time. I believe there were eight of us at the Cat's Corner School out in Chicago Heights, which was near where Louie lived. And I believe still lives. Um, and I won my first game, which, of course, advances you into the semifinal round when <laughs> you get right around to it. And I went two and one there, uh, and it was uh, great fun, and I was hooked forever on ASL from that point forward, because that was my first face-to-face uh, wargaming uh, in ASL. Uh, subsequently, I went to uh, my next wargaming experience, literally, was going to Ace Lock. All right. mm-hmm. and. I had the most incredible streak. of Ace the Lock, which is? Oktoberfest, oh. which is the big uh, ASL tournament in Cleveland in October. In Cleveland, Ohio. Now. It wasn't in Youngstown then? Uh, that first one was in Cleveland, in the uh, place that was had the swimming pool below and the strip joint across the way, and uh, it was just a wild, wild place to go to your first tournament. Uh, I went 7-1 and one with the most incredible. Holy cow uh run of beginner's luck my only loss was to the eventual winner gary fortenberry oh in my got- round i was four and oh and he was about eight zero at that point point. and that was when fish was running it still and oh, yeah. you know the number of games played was also considered in uh, who uh, would become the uh, grow winner uh, and I believe Fortenberry went something like 22 and 1 that year in the space of Thursday through Sunday. I mean, to imagine playing 23 games <sighs> ASL. When he was playing me, he was literally falling asleep and he was still beating me. Wow. <laughs> but that was the level of his play compared to mine at that point in time. But I, I had a great time with that. So after that, I kept on uh, playing more and more ASL and coming to the uh, local tournament. And uh, then from that point, uh, finding regular game opponents, and I've had a number over the years at the present time, uh, Fritz Eifrig and I are playing, and it's hard for us with my schedule primarily to get together. Uh, Then I started helping out at the ASL Open Tournament, which of course is a combination. Ultimately, uh, the name comes from the original Texas tournament, And after, I believe it was the first three years that they were running that, or maybe it was four, they decided they weren't going to use that name anymore and run the tournament in Texas. And so Louis, at that time, was running the Windy City uh, Wargamers tournament and took over the name. And that's why you'll see on the trophy that we inscribe every year, uh, we have the winners for both tournaments in the years where both tournaments were run. And after Louis was running the Open for a while... Uh, He was getting, I suppose, ready to hand over the reins to someone, so Merrill Rutz took over, uh, and then Merrill was going to leave Chicago, so I took over from Merrill, and I've been running the uh, Open. I believe this is going to be my eighth year this coming year. The um, Open will be held the first weekend in April in the same place that we've been for the last several years, which is the Hoffman Estates Hilton Garden Inn, which is a really Nice facility. It's uh, two rooms immediately adjacent to each other. It's quiet. We're the only people essentially in the hotel unless they're booking a uh, wedding party to stay there, which was a problem one year because they were rather noisy uh, late at night when some of the guys were trying to sleep. But other than that, it was great. Uh, and it's a lot of fun running a tournament. So earlier you would ask a question about how many hours does it take to run the tournament? And I should add that I have very little help uh... in setting up the tournament and only on game day do I actually really use the services of anybody else mike naven for years has been my assistant at the check-in desk which is the busiest moment my guess is i spend about forty or fifty hours total and uh, i've gotten it down to uh, a routine where i have a card file three by five cards each brand new scenario that i acquire I put on a card, I write down the boards, the overlays, the number of squads and vehicles, the number of turns, and then I've written myself a uh, simple Excel spreadsheet, and I plug the number of turns and when the vehicles and when pieces come on in each turn using two minutes per vehicle and one minute per everything else that I deem important, but particularly squads and order of battle given half squads and crews and guns and trucks. And I come up with a time that I expect the scenario to take because the ASL open, the rounds are timed, and I have to be careful yes. about how much time any individual scenario will take. And I just then each year...
1: what are, What is the time? How much time?
2: Well, is it depends. Uh, the, well,
0: there's the 8 a.m.,
2: well, actually, I don't do 8 a.m. anymore. That was one of the changes I made when I took over the tournament. Oh, good. We start, <laughs> we start uh, the morning rounds uh, on Saturday and Sunday at 9 o'clock. And the reason being is it's, it's rough if you've stayed up for yeah. a number of hours mm-hmm. playing. 9 o'clock is your time to eat and get down so uh, to start the tournament. So uh, essentially, I'm looking primarily for four-hour scenarios, hmm. except... On Friday, I can go a little bit longer because we start at noon for the first round.
0: So there's seven rounds now?
2: We're going down to six because we don't have enough people. Okay, good. We don't need uh, the seventh round to determine an undefeated uh, winner, basically. We're hovering around the 50 mark. I keep on hoping that it'll get back up to the 60 mark. Its high number of attendees, Of uh, attendees. Okay. And uh, at its high point, I believe Louis at one point had 90.
0: Yeah, I think close to 100. Yeah,
2: I don't think it ever hit 100. uh, But uh, that was in its heyday when it was down in um, Burr Ridge. To get back to the scenario selection, and then every year I go all the way through Roar and I enter on each and every card that's in my file the Roar record at that time. And I use that for a couple of uh, points. Number one, to see which scenarios are popular and being played. Uh, this, uh, as there's been literally an explosion in scenarios over the last, I'll say, 15 years. Yeah, huge explosion. And particularly as I'm watching more and more third-party products, uh, it becomes more and more difficult to really determine what products are really popular, other than, obviously, what has just happened uh, this last week, which is what gets released at Ace Lock, schwerpunk uh, friendly Fire, Break Contact, although I don't believe they came this year to uh, put in uh, a new scenario pack. Uh, the Side Gamers and various and sundry others uh, that comes when uh, Heat of Battle has something. Uh, I'm sure Chaz Smith will probably release something at an ASLOC in, in the future with his new company. But I watch and track those. I look at them with a somewhat skeptical eye as to balance because we really don't know uh, when games get reported on Roar what the balance really is because uh, it's hard to determine who
0: the quality of the two players the right quality you're, not of, sure about
2: quali- that. you're not sure about that and you're not sure did they finish the game did somebody just totally gack a setup and uh, you know would have never done it in a million years the second time uh, there's a learning curve sometimes on scenarios so I, I look at that and see. I do ask around. Obviously, I play scenarios, but i would be uh, very frank. I can't play all the scenarios that go into the open. I don't simply have the time to do it. So the fix to that was to, number one, go to five scenarios per round and available to all the players. We used to have an A column and a B column, and you can only go into the B column by agreement. And that seemed artificial, mm. And then the second thing I did was that you could play a scenario from a prior round, provided that uh, the Friday night scenario could only be played in Saturday night's uh, round because they were longer and they wouldn't fit uh, on the Sunday morning round. With um, the six-round format, it's going to be even more fun because you'll be able to play a big scenario on Sunday because there's only going to be one round on Sunday. Oh, yeah. We're going to go two, three, one, and that'll be a lot of fun uh... another thing i did uh... which won't be necessary with the sixth round was uh... to do uh... buddy matches because on sunday with the two rounds what we were seeing is a lot of people just simply for travel purposes had to leave and wouldn't play the seventh round because they couldn't and so i instituted uh... what i call buddy matches which is you would play one larger scenario teamed up with a one person. So you would take one side, your buddy would take the other side, and you would find two other people. And we would count it as two games, meaning that what your buddy did in the second round is what you did in the second round. And that way I could still keep people from losing points that they might need because their opponent in round seven wasn't there. I don't know if that makes any sense, so I'll explain <laughs> it again. With so, if you were in the well, tournament, like, so
0: Jeff and I would say let's be partners for that last round on Sunday,
2: and you would play Dave and uh, and Joe. Yeah, and you would only play one game, but it would count as two. Your win in the first game is also going to be Jeff Jeff's win oh, in I that, uh, and so and the reverse. Yes, oh, okay. so uh, it. It worked out pretty good because we got a number of players who wanted to play larger scenarios on Sunday, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, or four players who wanted to play a very short scenario because they all had to leave. Go to see the Bears? Yeah.
0: play, Or go to the Bears. Yeah. Or go to the Bears, yeah.
2: yeah. Um, and hopefully uh, not watch the last 11 seconds.
0: Yeah, my, my experience with Windy City Wargamers was I did go to a Louis tournament. I went in 95, and I had to go back into my records when knowing Dave Goldman was coming. And I remember, I, this is a guy, I played him at a tournament. Do you remember that, actually? I did don't remember. you play remember. all the time? You couldn't remember. I, I,
2: well, because I keep a uh, Excel spreadsheet of all my games played, I know that I have played you. Okay. I so couldn't tell you what we played without looking at the spreadsheet, yeah. and I couldn't tell you what the result I, was.
0: I flipped through all my handwritten spreadsheet and i found nine, 1995 we played escape at dawn on april 30th um you're so german dave <laughs> and i actually barely beat you and um and i think you had boards with larger hexes is that possible
2: oh yeah uh, that's uh, one of the things that i think i saw first from one of the california guys I, i'm not positive that he had uh, blown up all the boards from three-quarter inch hexes to one-inch hexes, and I had the misfortune and the same time fortune to have a client, uh, which was actually That's Mickey right. Palace's son. Mickey Palace was Palace Photo in Chicago, and I had done some collection work for him and defense work also on against collections, and he was a little bit cash tight. And so I said, hey, you have color copying services, don't you? He said, yeah. I said, I've got all these boards, and this is back, I'm going to say, in the mid-90s. Actually, yeah, mid-90s, because I had them in 95, so I probably just gotten them the year or two before then at most. And he blew up, at that point, all the boards that were in existence and all the overlays, He didn't charge me for it. I wrote off my bill to him, and then he told me of a professional laminator because that was a service that he couldn't provide, and uh, that was quite inexpensive uh, comparatively speaking at that time. Color copying was for an eleven seventeen, you know, like two to three dollars a sheet. Yeah, and uh, I will tell you, he he and his people there did a fantastic job. as you would expect a professional photo finishing studio to do Mm -hmm. and I still have those boards today and I had them laminated and every time a new module came out with more boards and overlays I would just go over to Kinko's then and it becomes inexpensive to maintain it it's the initial investment I mean even today it costs you about a dollar a sheet for 11.17 and about the same amount to laminate if you're going to do hot roll lamination which I have always done and it's prohibitively expensive but once you've got it going it's relatively uh, manageable to maintain it as far as the cost goes and of course the ease of playing on it is wonderful every once in a while with a big you know four board set up at a tournament you might run out of space if there's a lot of uh, how should we say? it, the tables aren't available because right, right. you really do spread out for about a table, uh, more than half a table, and usually that's all you should be using if it's real crowded. That's a
0: great yeah.
1: idea! I'd never thought of yeah, that. Yeah, they were neat to play that. on. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, so the regarding tournaments, let's get into some of the fun stuff. Well, maybe the difficult stuff. Um, you know, I know. I think we mentioned before that you know games we hope are being going to be called at some point. You're in that, you said, unenvious position, I think. You're, you're very uncomfortable, I'm sure, to have two players that are having a problem. you have any stories like that without naming people?
2: Oh, the interesting thing about, uh, we skipped a few steps in building the tournament, we'll go back to them, calling games. The most common problem in calling games, of course, is not rules, disputes, and it's really worked very well. As I've gotten better and better, in selecting scenarios, and I think I have, uh, I, as evidenced by the fact, and obviously I'll get a lot of emails about this. Uh, I haven't had people complain about scenarios for three years in a row, mm. and the reason being is is because they have so many to choose from that if they can't find something they like, uh, you know, it, 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 I just haven't had that problem in years past. And
1: you don't have you you do include third party.
2: Yeah, my uh, the scenarios. the ASL <laughs> open is uh, heavily into third-party scenarios. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number one, with essentially about 50 scenarios for a tournament, it it would get too, how should we say, incestuous to uh, just use official MMP Avalon Hill scenarios. And quite frankly, some of the real exciting scenarios are third-party published. Mm. And uh, so with the wide variety to choose from, it's just... It's very interesting to examine scenarios even if I haven't played them to determine do they fit number 1 does the counter mix look interesting one of the observations I have is there are literally dozens of tournament sized japanese scenarios that are just wonderful for tournaments I mm-hmm. couldn't possibly fit them all in and one of the big problems is is that there is still a significant how should we say it, bias against Japanese scenarios on some players' parts. Most of the people who come to tournaments now will play Japanese scenarios, but I think there's still a significant portion of people who only want to play it maybe once or twice at most during a tournament.
1: Why why is that, do you think? What is their bias?
2: Well, first thing, it's all infantry. Oh, I see. If it's a tournament size, I mean, or very light on armor. So you don't have a lot of chrome, other than the fact that you're playing the Japanese themselves. Uh, which is chrome personified as far as I'm concerned, but good chrome. I mm-hmm. love it. Real shiny. Uh, the other thing is, is that uh, I think there's still a residual on some people that they don't want to play Pacific Theater. You, you, I still hear every once in well, a while, I won't play Pacific Theater, hmm. but far less than in years past. Um,
1: and that's because why?
2: I think it's too... Uh, just getting used to the Japanese feels so different. It's a different set of rules. You play them differently. You defend against the Japanese differently than you do uh, in any other way, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but uh, as I said, uh, pretty Which, much that's not a big problem. But there is, I think, a resistance against it in the tournament scene. Yeah. Uh, somewhat, not a lot. Uh, other they things... can opt
1: to play. There's plenty of other stuff to select from.
2: Right. So the scenario uh, selection process... It's just a lot of handwork. But once I've got it all on three-by-five cards, I literally am starting, I'll use this, I'll use this, I'll use this. And I've got, in years past, seven piles and then six piles because I'm thinking which rounds I want to put them in, and then I'm going to arrange them so that I don't have five Japanese scenarios in one round. Mm-hmm. I, you know that, that would not be to people's liking. Uh, so I try to get a mix of old and new in a round if I can. And I also... Uh, pay attention, of course, to how much time, and I start whittling down. The only rule that I have about a scenario, aside from fitting in and my belief that it is balanced or it may have a long enough roar record where maybe there's some statistic uh, that, that gives you the idea that it's balanced, uh, is that I won't use a scenario two years in a row, uh, oh. with one exception. Um, and everybody knows that I love Mayhem and manhilla and it's been in the Open every year that I've run it, and as long as I'm running the Open, it will be in the Open. (laughs) (laughs) That is your privilege, sir. And people are playing it. No, not a lot. (laughs) But but, but it gets a couple of playings pretty much every year, and it's a scenario that repeats and repeats very well, although uh, there's uh, only, for the attacking Americans, uh, two main avenues that seem to work, and it all comes down to how crafty the Japanese is and a little bit of... You know, does it work? The Japanese yeah. defense.
1: Now, I'm I'm not familiar with that scenario. Is that from MMP?
2: That is an older uh, MMP. No, as a matter of fact, I think that's actually all Avalon Hill era. Oh. And that's number one. I may be wrong about that. And then number two uh, is it's a deluxe scenario. Amazingly enough, oh, it right. doesn't use Pacific um, terrain. terrain because mm-hmm. it's in Manila, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you have the opportunity to use a set DC, which, um, uh, probably once you're familiar with it and played it a number of times, Japanese is probably not going to use the set DC, although it's always a threat that it's really there. Uh, the American, uh, player can avoid that fairly easily because you have to enter from a road hex to a road hex in order for the set DC to work. So you just don't move down the roads. Uh, until you've identified where the D.C. Uh, hero is usually the way you find out about it yeah. is. Um, but it's a fun scenario, and Americans have a couple of nifty uh, big uh, AFVs, and the Japanese have a couple of small guns and uh, good leadership on the Americans and you know, a built-up area to fight in. It's mm-hmm. a very unusual uh, Japanese uh, scenario in that respect. Be that as it may, that's only one scenario, and every year there's about fifty or so in the uh, open. And uh, once I've selected that, uh, I've you know just plugged them into a, a spreadsheet so that I have a rules list. And the rules evolved a little bit as far as the tournament goes. We publish that or every year. Uh, there's always slight changes when I see that things can be worded a little bit better. And I, uh, in some years, I have sent out a mailing. Last year, I didn't. I don't think it made much of a difference in the attendance. Uh, this year I may send out a mailing again. I designed a t-shirt. Uh, we've had problems in year one with t-shirts, but since then everything has been fine. And well, last What was year, the problem in year one? You ordering too many? We, and no, we uh, didn't get the design done, so we didn't have t-shirts, so okay. I refunded everybody their money as oh, they checked in. Right. And that was no big deal at that point, just a disappointment. And I'm wondering, however, if T-shirts have really run their course as far as the tournament scene goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I've toyed with the idea of, you know, doing something else, such as a hat, uh, which says ASL Open on it, you know, ball ball cap, yeah. or little
0: uh, boxers with the hearts on them with ASL. Yeah, right. Well,
2: it's I'm sure idea. that all the wives <laughs> would love that, and uh, the. I wanted to do a dice rolling glass and I ah. could not get a, a promotions company to give me a quotation on it because I was going to supply the glasses uh, to them. You know, There was a specific... I finally located the manufacturer who had the little small glasses that were in the hotel at the Burr Ridge location okay. when it was down there because... You could those pick up the glass; sturdy. they were sturdy. You could pick it up and shake it in your hand, and, and people would slam it down. We had a few over the years. I've heard of people breaking the glass, you know, because they would slam it down to make the noise. Yeah. Uh, but that never panned out. I couldn't. They would never call me back with a quotation huh. on how much it costs. Because in our fraternities, we used to get all those, you know,
0: kind of, well, when I was in college, you'd get the homecoming glass and it had everyone's mm-hmm. names on it, and that was a big deal then. Yeah.
2: And um, so that's the promotion, Uh, you know, either a t shirt or perhaps someday in the future a hat, maybe this year, who knows, I haven't designed it yet. Uh, And uh, emailing, which takes care of itself also. I mean, you know, once you've done it, you just send it out uh, once a month. Right. The tournament scene, as far as the ASL Open goes, is pretty constant. It is a group that, you know, maybe 10 or 15% changes from one year to the next.
1: So, where do the uh, most of the players I assume are from the Midwest area? Yes. And then you have players that, Dave, are you okay?
2: <laughs> <laughs> the wild turkey just got him.
0: <laughs> I don't do that
1: often. <laughs> Good for you. It'll put hair where you didn't know you you wanted hair. <laughs> I'm already hair. hairy yeah, enough. Yeah, you don't
2: need mm. hair. Very Hirsute. Uh, and we moved further away from O'Hare, but now you're
0: closer to my house. But of course, I haven't been coming because I got my little brain can't handle it. But
2: Well, we can open up that brain for you. We will pour ASL in over a weekend. You will be totally (laughs) geeked out on it.
0: I am actually talking. I'm thinking about doing it again. But actually, this was our plan. We were going to ask you if we could come... And do a little broadcasting from the open. Absolutely, interview a ton of players. Maybe yeah. do two shows. You know, break it into two or three maybe shows. Two just shows. interview <laughs> players. You wouldn't get a chance to get to Illinois. Yeah, just to
2: be on our show. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it looks like you'd probably need just uh, one big table to set up uh, the laptop and the mixing board and the microphones, and you absolutely, you could do it, and yeah, we'd uh, love to have you. Yeah. Right? And then so play worry. some
1: pickup games if we don't want to play the whole tournament. Am, we'll just play some pickup games here f- and there.
0: Well, yeah, because right, we wouldn't want to just be talking all the whole time. Um, we'd be free not to have to stay the whole day either, which with right. my family and stuff, soccer games, whatever, but we'll work that out. We'll take you up on that. We're going to get there because they moved the Little Wars Miniatures tournament to February mm-hmm. or weekend, that was always my conflict. It was, well, if I, I the, the local ASL thing is the, always the same weekend as the Little Wars miniatures thing, and I just preferred to do that with my son, good father-son activity. Um, now they're split, so I am freed up. This year we'll broadcast, and then maybe next year I'll jump back in and get my rear end whooped.
2: In 2009, do you know what weekend L- Little Wars is? And
0: they're going to keep it in February.
2: Okay, because we also have down in Champaign... A general tournament, which is um, winter, winter Wars. wars. Winter wars yeah. And that has an ASL component that. Uh, yes, uh,
0: yeah. We had done Little Wars last year. Joe winter and I wars, went down. Yeah, you mm-hmm. and Joe. Went yeah, that's when years. I talked about us both being brained on Sunday, but he was yeah. worse off than I was.
2: <laughs> and uh, since it's become difficult for me to get out to Winter Offensive out in which the Baltimore is, area.
0: Oh, Baltimore, right. Was Actually,
2: it? it's Bowie, Maryland, to be precise, but. Uh, so uh, I've uh, changed my uh, early year wargaming tournament uh, down to Champagne, and it's a lot of fun. Okay,
0: great. And does now Avalon Hill used to do a tournament? Well, in that's
2: general. A, that was the well. That was Gen Con. Um.
0: Yeah. The, the, was that? Oh, Avalon Con.
2: <coughs> I'm sorry. So Gen Con. It's yeah, Avalon. Avalon Con. Con yeah. Right.
0: They ran um the official squad leader and they used to burn it in the general remember they'd run the mm-hmm. here's the winners and they get their pictures and everything in there wow. from all the avalon hill games and of course squad leader was in there so now the maryland one is that affiliated with MultiMan publishing at yeah. all mmp
2: runs it yeah. okay how did i not know that yeah and uh, i haven't been there for the last couple of years i assume perry is still the uh, tournament director there and that's another fine tournament and of course that has the added cachet and advantage that uh A couple of years, MMP has made their release of a module there, Uh, so, you know, you get it right out of the box real quick, uh, and that's a lot of fun, and all of a sudden, everybody's playing scenarios, which is one of the interesting things about the tournament scene. Uh, In years past, uh, particularly uh, going to Ace Lock and also out to uh, Winter Offensive, that was where you went to get your brand new scenarios, and since the, uh, there weren't that many publishers in existence who hadn't done as much work for as long, uh, it, it was really new blood of scenarios. It was important to go to, for instance, Ace Lock, and people would play, be playing the same scenarios, you know, table after table after table, and you got very quickly feedback on what was a good, balanced scenario. Now, since, for instance, going to Ace Lock, you know, there'll be four... Or so new releases of scenarios. There, you don't get quite the quantity feedback that you used to get in in prior years on the tournament scene. And those were the only scenarios out there. So they got uh, far more playing time, far quicker. Uh, that's one of the downsides of having uh, you know so much to choose from. It's hard to tell if you only play a scenario once, or maybe even twice. And a lot of other people are you know not even playing that scenario because they have. Uh, other things to choose from, you don't get the same kind of feedback as you used to do uh, when there were much, much, uh, f- much, much fewer scenarios to s- choose from because of fewer publishers. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So with so many <clears throat> scenarios, they don't get played as often. Again, And again, there's a lot of stuff out there. It's, as I said previously, I I know I wanted the time to do it, but I'm thinking about jumping back in and trying some different, you know, unofficial products. Which-
1: I think it'd be a good idea just to... It, and don't play them all. Just dip in, buy oh, I, a pack, play a couple.
2: I keep on wishing that I would win the lottery so that I could retire to playing ASL and doing all the other things that uh, work interferes with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now you
0: said, did you ever get Armies of Oblivion? Is that the one that they issued and then Avalon Hill died?
2: I believe that's uh, the last one. And yes, I have it. And uh, we were talking earlier off air that I had replaced my counterclip set with unclipped counters, but I couldn't get Armies of Oblivion, so my Armies of Oblivion counters are still clipped. Right, yeah, and I remember
0: Armies of Oblivion (coughs) came out, and I didn't realize this, and I was playing Dungeons and Dragons with some friends, and I was playing a druid character who had put up this wall of flame between the assaulting orcs and my party, and right then, for some reason, the the DM who was also an avid squad leader player, Matt Ramsey, I'll just say it, uh, says, Dave, did you get armies of oblivion the new squad and i'm like what what it came out and he's like yeah charlie had it like like a couple of weeks ago i'm like oh i'll get it right out there tomorrow he goes oh it's sold out in fact Avalon hill went out of business it was their last game they put out just enough to make their money back and it's gone and you'll never ever get it and i sat there stunned <laughs> and poor said, dave my druid drops his wall of fire and lets the orcs destroy him yeah because <laughs> i was just so <laughs> devastated and then he's like however if you call over there sometimes Charles Prosek at, at uh, his hobby shop there would keep a copy or two in the back room. And I called the next morning, Charlie, I understand this, you know I always buy this stuff. Please, do you have one? He goes, I got two. One is yours and I'm keeping the other. Uh, I was like, "Oh, yes." And I was so excited to get this last Avalon Hill game, you know, that was going to be ever published for squad leader. But the story continues and guess will it continue does. forever,
1: yeah, I guess. apparently. So are there um are there new players? Do you see a lot of new players coming into the tournaments, or are you seeing this kind of the same? It
2: is pretty much the same folks year after year uh as I said, a few don't come one year and become the next yeah three or four at the most of new players who are just getting into the game uh and that's been consistent in all the years that I've mm-hmm. been running the tournament
0: and so I wonder if starter kits will help increase that No because if they're playing starter kits, they're not gonna come.
2: No, I've had a couple of people inquire uh, and have come who have graduated from starter kit to okay. uh, the uh, the big book, and uh, that's not much of a problem on the tournament scene. Quite frankly, anywhere, uh, if you're playing open playing, you're going to find someone who's willing to play a new player and instruct and teach. And in a seated tournament such as the ASL Open, you're seated against a player who's playing skills may not necessarily be that far advanced above yours hmm. it could be someone you know that has played for a while and sort of knows the rules but just doesn't have a good grasp of tactics or it may very well be another new player and you you just ask I, I see it happening yeah people don't ask the tournament director now as they used to in part because the rules, that the tournament director knows he's forgotten most of them. <laughs> that's me, of course, uh, and so it's a lot easier to ju- and quicker uh, to just pull, you know, by saying, "Hey, how does this rule work?" And, and people find out right away. And that's where I see uh, my job has gotten a lot easier mm-hmm. over the years because mm-hmm. I get very few rules questions, and I have a set pattern to answer them. The first thing is, as I get out the rule book, and I say, "Okay." I'm going to have to start reading because nine <laughs> times out of ten, I want to make sure that if I'm asked, yeah. I try to get it right, right. right. Very. And the tenth time I know the rule and I tell them, but the, the other nine times, and I start reading in front of them. And they start realizing that, hey, instead of asking and watching Goldman read the book, <laughs> why don't we go, go read the book? Yeah. <laughs> and that answers a lot of questions, believe it or not uh it,
0: most of us know where to find stuff you know yeah it's, just, yeah,
2: it, it's one of those where the tournament mentality though is is uh, you, you get rules questions where the game is getting a little bit tense between the players yes. they're competitive and one is fairly certain that they've got the rule right and it's right the, the way they want it and the other guy is saying no it's very rare that both of them come up and say we just have no idea where to find this rule as a matter of right. fact that I, I can count, I'm sure, on one hand the number of times that that has happened. Mm-hmm. And very often what I'll do is I'll just, you know, some of the players who I know really, really know the know. rule book, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just say, you know, hey, Joe. Or, so hey. is that
1: to say that, oh, that all the rules, like there are no controversial <clears throat> rules in the game? And I'm asking that from a be- beginner's standpoint. Are there rules that are, that are still under discussion?
2: Uh, all you have to do is look at game forums and and any discussion lists that there are arguments about the minutiae of rules. But at a tournament, what they're really doing is they're just trying to finish their game. And so it's not at the philosophical level of uh, the rule needs to be modified. I don't understand this rule. Some of the rules are very opaque, the way the rule book is written. There's no question about that. And you know, when you look at all the rules that you have, you have to say they did a pretty darn good job it's when they amazing. put together the rule it, book it, in the first it, place. It is, and It's the fact, astonishing. Yeah, and the fact that it is a little bit uh, verbose, and uh, I, I will say that if it were perfect, every rule would follow the same order of explanation of mm-hmm. the general rule yes. with the uh, exceptions – and it would be very clear, clearly laid out. And, of course, the rule book would be twice as thick just for the formatting. Uh, but you couldn't do that uh, even back when the rule book was first produced. Uh, they, they had to make decisions as to how they were going to uh, portray and, 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 and put in verbal form something that they knew instinctively they wanted to go this way, that way, and so forth. But I think it's a, a rather amazing product. Uh, and... Uh, if it changes, it changes. I suspect that most changes that they will uh, do in the rule book in the future uh, will be very tiny refinements of language,
1: such
0: mm-hmm. as what came out in Action pack four. that
1: was f- uh, with the the rules about book
0: that was and, fairly uh, extensive yeah. yeah often the the errata pages uh, and I uh, my friend Wally this is back in eighty five eighty six seven was teaching me. You know, oh look, they got a random pages with paratrooper. Let's read them both and compare what has changed. And I'm like, Wally, I don't even understand. You're the dude teaching me. You know, you compare them. I don't. And then when I finally would start comparing them, it would be as simple as, and often they do this. They say, you know, paragraph five, line six. Yeah. Cross out um, two words, and or or whatever. You know, yeah. it's just a very simple little like legalese. Mm-hmm. No offense, Dave. Um, change to the the rules, Mm -hmm. you know. So it's very subtle language, I think, just Mm -hmm. as Dave has said.
2: And what uh, I think Uh uh, MMP has done particularly well, of course, is to uh, publish so that you can put it on a label and then cut the label out and paste it right into your rule book. And I brought my rule book here uh, this evening. Uh, And and you know you can bound. That's a nice one. Spiral bound, Mm -hmm. and I made covers, my uh, by quite frankly photocopying the rule book cover, and then uh, having it uh, hot roll laminated so that it has a somewhat waterproof uh, cover. So if you accidentally sat down on somebody's uh, where somebody had a beer bottle, a wet spot, it it wouldn't do that. Um, Coffee, and. um, so one of the interesting things that you can do is just by touch, because I've got, you know, the um, labels where the rules... I can tell right away if a rule has changed. Oh,
0: because you mm-hmm. printed out the sticky That's overlay right, label, That's right, the sticky right?
2: overlay label. And my level of understanding of the rules at this point in time in my life is I'll read it as I put it in there. I doubt that I internalize the uh, rule changes. And when I recognize that it's coming up in a game, you know, I'll flip to the rule book and take a look at it and see if I can understand what they changed and how it's to work. And then my opponent will usually tell me I have it wrong I and mean, this is the way it is. And you know, I'll lose a squad or two you know, learning the rule, and then I'll be able to do it to the next opponent I play who doesn't know the rule either, yeah. which I think is pretty much uh, if you're not going to study the rule book and, and have perfect recall, and I never had perfect recall, uh, I suspect some players do, some of the great players, uh, you know, obviously know the rules uh, by instinct, by heart, and, and to the word, and very rarely get anything wrong. Uh, but that's not my level of play. I am i couldn't tell you for sure, but I suspect that, uh, you know, Steve Pleva, Paul Sidhu, and a whole bunch of others who play at that level, uh, there's very little in the rule book that they don't know cold and uh i've seen each of them although not often pick up the rule book just to i think double check as opposed to how does this really work yeah, they right. they know it and wow. that makes that along with good sense of tactics and the um uh ability to understand the objective and and what they really need to do and keep track of what are high percentage moves what are less high percentage moves And very rarely do you see those guys do what we would say is a desperation move, you know, running. uh, In order to possibly win the game, I have to run two squads through four hexes of open ground where there's a medium machine gun and three squads against me. You know, something where, you know, the odds are just infinitesimally small that they're going to get to where they need to go. You rarely see those great players uh, forced into those kinds of situations. Uh, They play uh, at a much different level.
0: Yeah, they know well in advance to not get themselves in that last turn uh, situation, right? And they know to use, even it's as simple as throwing smoke and stuff, that again, by going to tournaments, that I've always said is the best thing to do is you'll learn to be a better player by playing better players. And, you know, simple as, I think I watched Gary Fortenberry, yeah, at ASLock. He was still publishing um, a newsletter, ASLug, Advanced Squad Leader, Union of Gamers, it had some great scenarios in it and he just simply stopped to watch and there was a tower with machine gun nest in it holding up the road and you know he smoked it and I went wow I never thought of doing that I would always want to throw high explosives at it. it killed them you know and then realizing the effectiveness so just watching that simple play real early in my gaming experience was incredibly helpful so you can always learn from these great players
2: you know I just realized I think when we were saying "Armies of Oblivion," we really meant Doom Battalions. Yes, uh, and that won't be the first time that I've led you guys wrong in this uh, <laughs> well in podcast. But um, <laughs> and I, you can lead me merrily anywhere yeah, because Jeff was not what born I know? I,
0: you were not born back when I was playing no. those games. But but uh, yeah, we, it wasn't Armies of Oblivion. It was Doom Battalions. That is correct. It was a smaller box. I remember that now. And um,
2: yeah, now and you don't have that one. Well, I do have it. It's just counterclipped, and I was Doom Battalions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But but it's clipped and I was replacing two uncounterclipped uh sets. Yes, right. So I was trading with Rob Arietta, who was getting into the game at that time and he's, you know, sadly away in New York. Hopefully the financial markets haven't creamed him too badly, uh, in his business. And uh so I he would acquire and we would trade the counters and it was a, a great deal for both of us. So that is the story of Connor Clips. But to get back to adjudicating, yeah. uh, obviously the reason for adjudication is a game can't finish in time. And it's very difficult to pick up a game in progress and stare at it and figure out projecting, knowing who the players are, because just about everybody at the tournament I know fairly well at this point, Uh, in my career as TD, and determine, okay, I've got to make a call. I'm going to disappoint somebody, although I will tell you it's been very, very uh, rewarding and uh, heartening that most people graciously accept it. I've Mm. really not had anybody throw a tantrum or anything like that. Uh, We do have one penalty, which is if a person has uh, taken excessive time and is a super slow player, I have to take that into account as to if the other player who is a rapid player would have been much further along in the game, I have to add a little bit of weight to that yeah. because he hasn't had the time to uh, develop his attack because he's been waiting on his opponent. Nevertheless, We, we had
1: some discussion about some. <clears throat> conjecture about that in an earlier episode when we were talking with joe because he was at a tournament and playing somebody who was very slow and we were wondering if that person was doing it on purpose
0: yeah well
1: yeah right if they were yeah maybe we weren't sure like part of their tactic was to play so slow that it would have to get to a point where joe would have to leave or
2: well you know that that you ever
1: see that that sort of thing
2: no uh I, i will tell you that uh over the years, I know who tends to play slower than, yeah. uh, than the average player. I am always prepared to uh, adjudicate a game, and the system is really quite simple. I look at the game, I make up my mind, and then I'll ask two other good players who have finished who are hanging around, uh-huh. take a look at the board. Sometimes I only ask one because I'm usually pretty sure, and occasionally I don't ask anybody because I'm positive. Uh, you know. And I ask them to look at it. I won't tell them what I've decided. But I get a confirmation uh, and and almost I can't even remember a time that uh, the people that I've asked to confirm have had a different opinion than mine. Um, And those opinions are very often it's too close to call. There's no way that one can adjudicate this or it's very obvious who's going to win. And I also ask the players as we're getting tight on time, guys, if you can adjudicate this yourself, let me know. what it is. And most people, I will tell you that that has been a very effective uh, technique because most players will say, he's already got it. We're just playing this to see if something weird had happened and I can get back in the game. And I say, okay, just keep on playing because of something weird. um, I'll be back. Because I start coming around about... Sometimes if I'm light on, uh, you know, keeping up work and entering games and things like that, I start coming around the last half hour to start moving people along. And usually it's only uh, if in a round we have uh, 25 games going, there's usually only four or five that are going to come down time-wise. And usually of those four or five, there's only one or two that are really going to possibly need adjudication. And people have, you know, they know that it's an impossible job to adjudicate a very close game. And uh, very often they'll say, let's just roll a die. That's their decision. Otherwise, I will call it.
1: So what causes that? What causes them to run so long? Is this a player that consistently runs slow? Or is it just two players that are just locked Mm -hmm. into something?
2: It could be either one.
1: uh,
0: Okay.
2: And and I will tell you that, uh, as I said, Uh, There are some players who do play notoriously slow, Mm -hmm. and there's not anything that anybody can do about that except to uh, handle it with good grace, play your best game. It's very difficult for a very fast player, I think, to change speeds and deal with a very slow player in a timed scenario. Quite frankly, it's probably even worse in uh, an untimed uh, scenario format because then the slow player is under no pressure to do anything other than play at their rate. Uh, so you can force someone to play at a very slow rate. Uh, that happened to me once in a tournament, and I was way ahead, and I got so discouraged that I just started playing as fast as I possibly could when it was uh, my turn to move, and I, quite frankly, blew a game that I was way ahead. In. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that, yeah it's, we can relate to that some.
2: And then the rest of the work at a tournament so that we can uh, sort of round it out is really just uh, entering games into a game program that Jeff Thompson adopted, uh, the scoring system that uh, I forget who started it. I know Louis is the first one who used it in a tournament. I'm not sure who wrote his original program. Uh, and that takes little time. The, the most important thing about that is, is that every tournament – I get a game entered backwards where I made the winner to loser and loser to winner. And usually people figure it out pretty quick. And uh, the problem with that is that occasionally it changes the matchups in the subsequent round. All right. And um, sometimes I just play past it uh, because it's the round has already started and we just change it. And then the next round it will right itself. Uh, but that's not much of a problem. And, uh, of course, we had the legendary computer crash when Merrill was running the... Uh, Uh, tournament, which was the uh, last year that he ran it. And uh, I had one minor glitch one year, but it was not a big deal. And we figured out that I just needed to reset the program. So uh, on tournament day, I have very little to do after check-in. Very few games get adjudicated. It doesn't take long to enter in the results. And I get to schmooze. And occasionally, of course, uh, I get to play uh, in the tournament because if there are an odd number of people beside myself I throw myself into the tournament and I'll get matched up at somebody near uh, the back end because I always rate myself the lowest uh, rated player in the tournament, not because I want to pick up a bunch of wins, but because I don't want to become a factor as I did one year where I won a whole bunch of games. And so it, I was affecting, mm. you know, people above because I wasn't in every round. Right. I, I think I went four because and you zero one get year.
0: Points for people, your games, your opponents won. That's correct, right? Now, if I <clears> run a three day tournament, and I've done that uh, two or three weekends because again, the five with the kids, it got the, the seven games got to be too much. I can't get off Friday, and you know, two on Sunday isn't going to work. I like the one on Sunday now, but um, if I run a three three-game scenario or a tournament on a Saturday, it seemed to end up as a tie. So how, is there a way I can get around that mathematically? I mean, I'm just – I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. You, by awarding the points, it's probably – throw that question at you. It's probably
2: not going to work right now. Well – It's it, just too few games. It's din- too few games. That's the problem. The sample is uh, too small to pick up the points that make differentiate the strength of schedule. In a uh, three-round tournament, uh, if yeah, you have, uh, you know, uh, if you have twelve people in a three-round tournament, you're going to have people with the same record exactly. Exactly. That that's when I was in. I, mean, I used twelve. I didn't do the actual math, but I'm right. certain you would have 6, six, three, and of those three, they've all. You know, beaten people. Right. You know who are, who are unbeaten. So they have the same pick up points under the scoring system that we use at the ASL Open. Uh, you would just have to wait and seed uh, the players, and you use something artificial before they actually start playing, so that uh, if a very weak player should oh. beat a stronger player, he will pick up more points. Okay. Uh, than so that. if you can beat Bob, you get like triple points. Right?
0: That kind of thing yeah.
2: would, would maybe work. So yeah. Otherwise,
0: just play for fun and just see what you get at the end and not worry about it. So.
2: And that's the ASL Open in a nutshell. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I intend to keep on doing it for a few more years. Uh, one of the things is that, uh, unfortunately, we don't have enough players so that the gaming space is given to us uh, based not upon the cost of the gaming space, but on the, how many rooms we fill in the motel at night. Oh, Whereas okay. uh, Ace Lock, the gaming space, as I understand it, uh, they is pretty much donated because so many people come and stay for so long. I mean, yeah. essentially, one part of Ace Lock now is actually a week long.
0: Yeah, that's uh, what they were gaming- saying. I gaming couldn't convention.
2: believe it. I did that last year. I wasn't able to go this year because of the Jewish I think I'd album. rather go to actual war
1: for, for the week. For the week.
2: Well, yeah, I plan. mean, that would be interesting, oh. but just imagine how <laughs> muddy your clothes would get. <laughs> uh, you know, they never fight in good weather. I mean, you know, you see Yeah, that. that's true. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's
0: over a full week now. It's yeah, yeah. so the, ga-
2: the gaming actually gets underway. Some of the foreign players come in on Friday and Saturday, and are are rocking and rolling already. And then you have the USA versus World Tournament, which is wonderful fun. Uh, It it just goes a week long, and it makes a lot of sense because if you're going to go to... As ASLOC expanded, it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then we had Wednesday mini-tournaments, and now that's basically part of the uh, overall, uh, how should we say, experience well, you might as well come in on Monday and Tuesday also. And if you're going to come in on Monday right. and Tuesday, you might as well you know, arrive on Saturday and play Sunday too. Yes. So it's become a week-long event, and it's a lot of fun, and it's much more social uh, nowadays, uh, the uh, Ace Lock tournament is, than it was in years past. Uh, among other things, you don't have people who play all night long, like Gary Fortenberry did the year he beat me. Uh, and uh, so by 11 o'clock in the evening... The game room, there are some games in progress, but it wasn't like uh, 10, 15 years ago where the whole room would just be whooping and hollering over ASL and nothing else. You'll see people that go out for drinks or drink in the room, as the case may be. Uh, occasionally, you'll see a couple other board games pulled out and you know people are just relaxing, doing something other than ASL. And as the uh, tournament scene has aged, and it has aged, uh, you see people just, you know, quite, quite frankly, socializing, catching up, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on in your life, you know, haven't seen you, how's the yeah. wife and kids, you know, who's going to college, who's getting married, you know, as if we keep on playing long enough, who did we just bury? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah,
0: Getting closer all the time. Yeah, because um, yeah, I always told Jeff, too, with the, these uh, the shorter tournaments, um, I want to get a decent dinner in with my friend who I rode down there with, you know, and go out to dinner and have time to talk. And so if the game's rushed from the afternoon to the evening game, you don't have time to even do that, so that does sound. Like I built a, good time. a little
2: bit of that into the open schedule, and unfortunately, though, you really only have an hour between rounds if you're playing as I anticipate. Uh, the the Saturday um, afternoon round, I try to keep it uh, basically short so that people have time. Then we have a raffle Saturday uh, after the uh, afternoon round and before the uh, evening round uh, begins. Um, So, you know, our opportunities for socializing aren't uh, as available, of course, as in an open tournament such as ASLAC or uh, Winter Offensive. The other uh, thing, though, that uh, we're doing at the Open, and I've done it the last couple of years and I hope to be able to do it this year, uh, they've raised the price of the room on me a little bit, uh, is uh, we have an open bar that we, uh, in effect, because uh, the raffle money essentially went to pay for the bar. And uh, so there's plenty of socializing around the bar and uh, as people finish games and uh, people tend not to play the longer scenarios anymore on the Saturday night round. So there's plenty of people just sitting around having a good time yeah, so you get the and little, drinking.
0: Yeah. Have you had a... Um, a, a f- foreign winners since you uh, uh, to the tournament at all anyone from sweden or germany ever
2: no but we have had a couple of people come through from australia over years past and i'm wow. trying to remember the last time that that happened it's i'm not even sure that during my tenure someone from overseas is actually come in and played okay but i know that in uh, i certainly when louis did it we had somebody come in i'm almost sure of that um but uh, generally speaking with a, a couple of regular exceptions uh it's a midwest tournament now yeah mm-hmm.
1: do you think there are there more people playing squad leader now or fewer people i mean your your attendance uh and the tournaments has gone down does that mean there are fewer people playing
2: no, I don't think necessarily it is. I just think it means that the tournament scene is not as critical to people playing ASL as it used to uh. be. Uh, I think one is there's the aging of ASL players. And although I'm one of the in age-wise older players, a lot of players have families. Get away for a weekend is a little tough.
0: It took me out, right? I'm I'm gone. I mean, I I did you know, I asked Lock, and it wasn't just that I get tired, but yeah, I got I got a soccer game of my daughter's in the middle of it, and yeah. am I gonna really miss that? You know, the tournament.
2: Hopefully, will still be there when soccer is over. Exactly
0: right. They'll all be off to college, and now I can do more
2: gaming. Well, you won't be able yeah. to afford it then, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, and then the other thing I think is the rise of Vassal.
0: Oh, I think Vassal. Oh, yeah.
2: um Takes a little bit off of the tournament scene only because. Uh, in years past, people would, without it, this was their big chance to come to, for instance, Cleveland or come down to Chicago and, 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 you know, get a whole bunch of games in over a weekend. Right. But now that, you know, you can be anywhere with Internet access, which is basically everywhere, yep. and uh, you can uh, play. And, and you can play quality opponents, probably. I imagine some of them are a- out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I don't play Vasel myself. I, I have mean, downloaded my oh, computer. I was just going to and I, uh, you know, quite frankly, print out map boards uh, off of it, uh, not with setups, but just to view the terrain. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if nothing else, as I'm preparing to go to a tournament, if I, I will look at the scenarios, if it's a, a tournament that uh, publishes scenarios ahead of time. And what I will do is I will download from Vasil the um, boards as they are set up. Because uh, terrain is a major, major factor in deciding how a scenario plays, and just forcing myself to look at the terrain, having read the scenario card, uh, you know, I might make a notation or two as to where I might want to set up. If I'm the defender, the machine gun—that's you know, where does the heavy go? That sort of thing. Where am I going to bring my tanks in? Those are things that are easy to decide, looking at a blank MAC board, and that little bit of preparation sometimes is. Um, you know what you need to make it an enjoyable uh tournament scenario to play number one number two to decide whether you want to play it at all uh number three uh to help your setup a little bit quicker Mm -hmm. so that's what i do in in preparation for a tournament where i know the scenarios ahead of time
0: and you can print out boards with winter (coughs) color white on them that's what yeah that that's a that's great fun too yeah I, I, i i Got to do that. I've got. I have to do that. I've always wanted white ASL boards, and I was gonna play Brian in front of Joe's, the teacher. Yeah. um, In a game at Joe's house, and then it got canceled. um, For I think it was snow. I think it was like a a winter day, and we couldn't. You know, it was like you weren't going to Wakanda. Yeah. And um, he had. I was bummed because he had said he printed out this white board, and it was winter rules. And I'm like, I gotta see that. And then I. You know, email them and say, you know, I'd I'd like to get that board from you if it's possible. And I've never seen him. You know, I haven't seen
2: him since. I might at Joe's the twenty fifth. Um, well, I don't know. Have you ever seen uh, Jeff DeYoung's boards?
0: No. Oh wait. You've heard about them. Are these with uh, he did levels with uh, foam core? Uh, yeah, ninety five when we played, they were there. Yeah. He had those up yeah, there.
2: Jeff every year donates uh, a moderately sized board so that if the raffle winner is on an airplane, although that's less and less of a problem these days, (laughs) you know, they would be able to transport it. Uh, His boards are actually beautiful. Uh, It's great fun to play on them. Obviously, in order to string a line of sight, you have to have the regular board uh, set up alongside because you can't string across, you know, five or six levels. Yeah,
0: what he's done is he's used uh, (laughs) a foam core, uh, uh, less than half an inch, quarter inch, Pretty thin, right?
2: I would say it's uh, either a quarter or three-eighths inch uh, board. And, and each level. Cut
0: out each layer so you can see the levels. And when you played Gavutu Tanambogo, wow. do you remember that, Dave? Oh, G- yeah. From the uh, annual or journal? Yeah. Jeff, you wouldn't know, right? Gavutu Tanambogo, it was this whole set of of scenarios on this really small island that was off the coast
2: of... Aquatic Canal. Guadalcanal. Actually, it's the uh, it's actually off of uh, Tulagi, I believe, it's Tulagi, yes, which is immediately yes. north of Guadalcanal, right? And, uh, <laughs> and the Marine Raider Battalion, as I recall, yeah, uh, was tasked with uh, taking that, and it turned out that that was the difficult um, D-Day at Guadalcanal. Fights, uh, the Japanese were, uh, quite frankly, it, it was almost a presage of what was things to come later. In uh, the Pacific War, because they were dealing somewhat with caves and somewhat with entrenched Japanese who were not going to uh, bonsai and Hmm. uh, everything. I believe on one island they actually did ultimately uh, bonsai, but uh, it was a tough little fight. There's a night landing that actually happened, a contested night landing, uh, because they're trying to bring in reinforcements, and don't ask me which of the two islands. Very interesting uh, tactical setup, and those are fun little scenarios.
0: And I think he had those
2: boards. Yes, he has actually given away those boards either once or twice at the ASL Open as raffle prizes. Oh boy, I would, I would
0: dig because there were like. Three levels, four levels, whatever, but they're covered with wood. On the standard side
1: hex, or was it
2: the. No, it the he enlarges, enlarges. Yeah, he enlarges yeah. all the hexes. Okay. Yeah. Which makes it great fun. So yeah. you can
0: now see those levels mm-hmm. without. You oh. won't get, ever forget there's a level there. Yeah, it's covered by woods or something. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I'll have to show you that. Gavutu Tanaboga yeah. stuff. It's cool. Yeah, I'd love to see cool. that.
2: I suppose, uh, you know, as we're getting here in the wrap up, I've only mentioned a few names of people directly, you know, who've been involved in the tournament scene or helped me out with the ASL Open. And I'm not going to mention everybody who uh, uh, has ever lent a hand, either a lot or a little. Uh, you all know who you are, and I really appreciate the cooperation and spirit. It's uh, a couple of times as I've made uh, announcements at the Open, I look around and I see a lot of familiar faces. As a matter of fact, they're all familiar, quite frankly, with you know very few exceptions. And it's really great to see everybody come out there. When I arrive at another tournament, such uh, that I've been to a number of times, such as Ace Locker down in Champaign, Brian Martin's um, a tournament that he runs down there, you know, it's really great to just get together and, and see it. You know, it's a great group of guys who play ASL. There are, with very, very, very few exceptions, uh, people that. You know, I wouldn't mind seeing week after week after week, and I'm just sorry, as I said, that I haven't won the lottery so I can uh, play more. Ahead. Yeah. So, <laughs> thank you to everybody, you know, and, and you guys for doing this, and you guys will be out at the, the open uh, with well, an open mic there. I, I will we'll be there. We'll be there. Well,
0: and the open mic doesn't mean you can all just run up and start shouting in the mic for We'll, phone we'll no.
2: get Bob Bendis to sing. I know. want to. Meet- you heard about that, didn't? No,
0: you? No, I did not.
2: No. When we were at the uh, prior location for the Open, um, which was in Elk Grove Village, the bar in the hotel had Saturday night karaoke. Mm. Now, I was busy either sleeping or um, playing, and I missed it, but I'm told that Bob Bendis is a karaoke king, and he's also a great ASL player.
0: And he's one I want to play, absolutely, absolutely. And he's local, right? He's in Chicago. Absolutely. So, Bob, I'm calling you out. Yeah, calling you out, like, come on out and kick my rear end no. at, at my house, all right? It's not farts, and it's in Palatine, Illinois. So contact me on Gmail. we got to get a game in because I can't play at the tournament this year, but we will interview you there and all these other great guys. Um, but, yeah, I love watching Bob play people. He seems to have so much fun, um, and he is good. He's a good player. So. so. Well, we really appreciate you coming out, Dave.
1: Thanks.
2: Really uh, amazing. I amazing. hope you don't have too much trouble editing all my gaffes. I apologize to anybody who I've slighted ever in my life.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> from, from a lawyer. <laughs> That's safe. Well, come back and uh, join us again sometime. And we're looking forward to seeing you at the tournament. And uh, thanks for coming. Yes, yeah, save a table right.
0: for us at the tournament. Not a problem.
1: And that wraps up episode 11. Dave Kleinschmidt and I were very happy to have Dave Goldman here, and we got excited at the end of the show, and we we were seeing him out the door, and then we got to talking, and we forgot to record a closing. So on behalf of Dave and myself, thanks for listening to the Two Half Squads. We'll see you next time, and until then, remember to roll low, and may the dice be with you, but not when you're playing us. Bye, everybody.